Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Now, this will be a fun conversation today. Uh, this is something that I think a lot of business people out there, large, medium, size, and, and small, probably don't think is something they can really do or something that's not viable for them participating in international business, becoming a global company. And so, Today's guest is going to shed some light on how we all could potentially become a global business. Should be very, very interesting. I'm joined this morning by Stephen Kreskoff. He is an international trade lawyer and consultant and the author of a new book called What You Need to Go Global, A Guide to International Trade Transactions. Steve, welcome to the show. I'm very happy to be on the show. You have a great show, Todd. Well, I appreciate that, Steve. I appreciate you making time. I know you're a busy fellow, so I appreciate you stopping by and making some time. Before we get into our conversation around this great new book, Steve, take a few quick seconds. Tell us a bit about you and your background and the work that you're out there doing. Sure. As you mentioned, I'm an international trade lawyer and consultant. I've worked all over the world for more than 40 years now, both for multinational corporations and actually for governments. So I've had a, a wide variety of international business, and uh, I've enjoyed it. It's not a career I planned on, but it it just happened. It evolved, and I love it. <laughs> you know, careers never never follow the path we think they're going to take, and that's part of what makes life interesting, so I'm with you there. All right, so Steve, so again, the new book is What You Need to Know to Go Global, A Guide to International Trade Transactions. So I think... Let's let's start off this conversation with this, I think, key point. I think most people in business out there think there is no way in heck they have what it takes or the knowledge, certainly, to become a global concern. This isn't just limited to large enterprise organizations, right? Correct. Uh, it, it really applies to everyone, no matter how small you are, even if you're a, a solo business. So how is that possible? I, and in fact, I, I particularly wrote it for small business. All right, so Steve, walk me through how a small business could even begin this process because, as I said, most small business people I talk to, they've never even thought about going global. So so how how does that start? How does that process begin? Well, first of all, we live today in a global economy. So no matter what you're doing, no matter what the nature of your uh, business, whether whether it uh, involves some sort of service business, and of course most of us here in the United States are involved with providing services like me and like you, or whether you're producing some sort of product, you are in fact involved in the international economy and the global economy. Uh, You may not think about it, but you're involved with it every day. So in terms of evaluating your service or your product, you really need to start by thinking about the global economy and how it impacts your service and your product and whether there's possibilities in the global economy out there for you. I think uh, today the possibilities are there. Either you're going to be aware of them and take advantage of them, or they're going to eat you and you'll be history. Yeah, no doubt about that. So let's walk through some of the common misconceptions about how small business can improve their business with international trade. First of all, you have to you you have to understand your your product or service, and you have to look at it in terms of 
how it may play internationally. There are, no matter what the product or service is, there are international possibilities with um, your, your product and your service, and, and you have to think through what those are because we are in an environment where it's not just the United States. It's the whole world that is providing uh, goods and services, and they're on our, our doorstep. This is particularly true because of the complex global supply chains we have now, both for goods and for services, and also with the development of cross-border e-commerce. Cross-border e-commerce is really going to be a game changer, and it's going to bring goods that are produced all over the world to your doorstep and, and vice versa, so that you as a small business here in the United States can sell anywhere through cross-border e-commerce. As we record this, we're less than a week away from what had happened in England when they, with the Brexit vote and they voted to leave the EU. Do you anticipate that that is going to further confuse and intimidate business who may have been considering doing something international but now think, oh, this, this, this global business, global economy, this global trade, it's, it's too complex and, and it's, I just don't want to get in the, in the middle of it. Or is that, do you see that as, hey, this is an, an opportune time to actually get involved in this? Well, there's the short term and there's the longer term. Uh, as far as Brexit is concerned, it's, it's really too early to tell exactly what's going to happen. There, there are already petitions going to the British Parliament to have a new referendum, so it may be walked back. There's some apparently some buyer remorse in the UK about the situation, particularly with the possibility of Scotland leaving the UK. <laughs> you don't have much of a country left. It's not clear as to whether Brexit is going to stand, but let's assume that it does. If it does stand, there will be business opportunities for us here in the United States because almost certainly, uh, at least in terms of sales of goods, there will be a, a free trade agreement negotiated between what's left of the U.K. and the United States, and that will open uh, up new opportunities for business here, particularly uh, agricultural exports but also manufactured exports. And our services business, I think, will also be strengthened by Brexit at, at the expense of the, of the English, unfortunately. Well, but as I, as I think about the, and ponder the news that I watch and I see what the president's doing with international trade and I see the, all the discussions going on with, in regards to the presidential campaign and all this talk of are we getting a little bit more protectionist, are we getting a little more isolationist, and you know, we're, we're that, we'll see where that debate ends and how the outcome of all the political races. But I, I still think this is a, a really great opportunity, a great time for a, an, or, an organization to begin to investigate international trade. Because I, I think in all that confusion, there is an awful lot of opportunity, though, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we really have an insular mindset here in the United States. I mean, that's always been our tradition. And if you look at the data, we trade less, both in goods and services, uh, in terms of a percentage of GDP, than any other developed economy. So, so we really haven't uh, exploited international trade to the extent other economies and other countries have. I think uh, that's going to change, particularly with uh, cross-border e-commerce and with the complex uh, supply chains that have developed. So we're in a new era, and there are a lot of possibilities and potential for businesses, no matter how small you are, no matter what you do. So it's something that you have to be aware of. You have to think think about think about your product or service in terms of the international market because it's not just, of course, potential new customers. It's who who can come in and take your business from you. There's that danger too. And because 
we're very much uh, interconnected now with the uh, trade barriers down, that's a distinct possibility. Oh, yeah. Lots of interesting things to think about there. And even if you're listening to this as a, as a business considering this and you say, eh, it's not worth the trouble, your competitor probably will be. And that could be a game changer uh, between that, re- <laughs> that relationship. Before we go to break, when we when we're thinking about trade between small and mid-sized businesses and other countries, are we are we only talking about goods and products? No, we're, no, we're we're really mainly talking about services. Now, in my case, I'm a service provider. I have a small business, and I provide services all over the world. Todd, you have to remember that our economy is about eighty percent services. Right. So that's the name of the game. You know, we're it's never discussed uh, by the politicians. But we're extremely competitive in terms of services in the international market. We're the largest uh, services exporter. We have a big positive trade balance as far as exports of services are concerned. But, uh, of course, the politicians only talk about trade and goods. They don't talk about trade and services. But it's trade and services that it's that is most important for our economy. Yeah, well, typically the politicians are talking about you know the the jobs lost due to international competition, which is I think very unfortunate. So, all right, Stephen and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpeetler.com. All right, I am back with Stephen Kreskoff, an international trade lawyer and consultant and the author of a new book, What You Need to Know to Go Global. All right, so... Let's kick off the second half of the show, Steve, by talking about how we can leverage technology to improve how business interacts with other countries and, and help them grow. So what, what tools are available? What technology is now easily accessible that can make this process dramatically simpler? Well, of course, uh, Internet has really been a, a game changer. And now what's happening is the development of cross-border e-commerce. And what this is, of course, Todd, is business-to-business, business-to-consumer transactions uh, that are conducted over the Internet through e-commerce platforms, whether it's Alibaba or Amazon, or whether it's just uh, a business's own website. This opens up the possibility of businesses here selling directly to consumers in China. And actually, this is happening a lot. Take China as one example. Middle-class consumers there are very unhappy about the quality of goods produced in China. So they're looking to North America and they're looking to Europe to to buy goods. So if you participate in uh, if you if your your product is a is a tangible product and not a service, you have a great opportunity using e-commerce using an e-commerce platform of some sort to, uh, to sell your goods to a country like China with 1.3 billion consumers. 
Yeah, it's a pretty big market to think about. I mean, I'm just thinking about you know, what this kind of conversation that you and I are having today would have been like 15 years ago. It would have been dramatically different. Possible, but it would have been a lot different. I mean, I just interviewed a gentleman just yesterday who does play in the Chinese market and manufactures some product there and distributes there. And, and he said, to build what I've built in the last couple of years would have taken me a decade a while back to figure out and to, because I, you know, I, I would have to have gone over to China and I would have had to research and investigate all these manufacturing concerns and, and then determine face-to-face whether they were legitimate operations or reliable organizations. And now there are, there are resources available on the internet that can make this process complete in an afternoon of work, you know? So, I mean, there's, there, I think a lot of people who are intimidated by the, the thought of becoming a, a global company and doing global trade, I, I don't think are aware of the tools that are available. I mean, I talk about some of, some of those kinds of resources that, that affords you all kinds of amazing bits of information that make this process far, far easier. Well, the first tool I would like to talk about, of course, is my book, What You Need to Know to Go Global, because, <laughs> and pardon me for doing that and being a marketeer on your program, but I, I wrote it because we have about 30 million small businesses here in the U.S., and, and, and most of them are not really conscious of uh, international opportunities. Uh, and I wanted to, and, and they don't have the resources of the major multinationals to engage in international trade and international business. So I wanted to walk them through what they need to know to do it. And it's, it's not really rocket science, but I've had uh, the kind of experience that gave me a, a global view of, of all aspects of international trade. So first I talk about, you know, how do you get customers, how do you get clients and of course you have to evaluate your product and service and you also have to be aware I think in uh, uh, talking to uh, people in other countries of, of cultural differences and cultural dif- let's talk a little bit about cultural differences because they're, uh, they're a lot of fun they really intrigue me and I, Todd I, as I recall you've done some international work uh, yeah. and you're, you're probably familiar with some of this too Earlier this year, I was in Burma, and at every meeting, they served me a cup of coffee and a cup of tea, and I was perplexed by that. I, I asked some someone, a uh, Burmese, or some people call them call the country Myanmar now, you know, why why do you do this? And and they said, well, people here are so polite that they, even if they want coffee or tea, they won't they won't say they do. So to preempt that. When you go to a meeting, they serve both coffee and tea, so <laughs> you won't be embarrassed by asking for coffee or tea. I mean, that's uh, antithetical to uh, you know an American or Australian. We're, you know, we're individualists, and, and we we have a saying: the squeaky wheel gets the grease. We speak up, you know, we we speak our minds. But in other cultures, that's not necessarily the case. In Japan, for example, you know, they're 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 saying is the goose that honks is shot. Or the nail that sticks up is hammered down, whereas we say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right. So it's it's, it's uh, completely the opposite. One of the challenges in, in going international is is appreciating these cultural differences. I've I've worked with uh, business people who you know, want to want they want to fly to China, they want to spend three days in China, sign a contract, come home. They get to China and they're taken to lunch and dinner day after day. They get extremely frustrated. And it's because the Chinese people in their culture want to see what you're like as a person. They don't want to deal with somebody that they don't respect and like as a person. So they, you know, and, and so that's the purpose of all these 
these social occasions. It's not wasted time from their perspective. And they also don't particularly believe in contracts, so they, you know, they have a saying in China that you should uh, always respect the other side. Don't break someone's rice bowl. In other words, don't interfere with their their enterprise or their ability to make money. So uh, they always expect that there will be an adjustment to a business relationship if there's if there's a problem, and 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 they don't appreciate our uh, legalistic point of view of, you know, I got you, you know, the contract says this, and this is what you have to do. So these are important cultural differences. Yeah, no doubt that that's important. And and I I suspect that's part of what intimidates people from even investigating this is that they just don't know that they understand how they can figure those things out. And that's so critical uh, and important to think about. I think another side of this that that intimidates people is, is their their lack of knowledge of the financial side of trade and things like exchange rates and you know international you know, are there taxes they got to deal with and, and there's probably some concern of well how how can i ensure that if i'm doing some international deal that i'm going to get paid so walk us through yeah, some but, some of the key things on the financial side of this todd I, this is actually one of my chapters in the book you know because why do you want to engage in business if you don't get paid so right, it's, right. it's critical and there are more problems if you're doing international transactions than, uh, of course, if you're, uh, you're home because there are different legal systems, there's communications problems and so forth. So it's, it's very important to systematically approach international business and uh, first to have a good written contract and, of course, to provide as to what law applies or what procedures apply if you, if you use arbitration, for example, as a dispute resolution. And also, Keep control over your goods and services until you are paid, and you can do that with trade finance if if you're dealing with goods, and even if you're dealing with services, you can you can request uh, a standby letter of credit, for example, to uh, make sh- certain that you're going to be paid. So I walk the reader through all the options of uh, you know uh, protecting their their interests and uh, assuring to the greatest possible degree that they get paid for their their goods and services it's not it's not really rocket science it's uh, just uh, takes a systematic approach it takes awareness of you know what the problems could be because no matter what the original intent of the uh, of the parties problems can come up we talk about cultural differences again because in, in some of the Asian cultures there may be problems and they may not want to admit that they're problems because of a loss of face so uh, you may have to read between the lines uh, about whether they're, they're going to be able to deliver on time or not deliver on time. So my chapter on getting paid covers all of those issues. What if someone's concerned about protecting their intellectual property? Is there anything they ought to think about there? Well, here, I mean, and this is really critical because, as, a, as I mentioned before, we're 80% services economy. Intellectual property is really uh, big in terms of our our business, whether you're a service business or whether you're selling goods, you know, we, we sell high technology goods all over the world. And some countries are a problem in terms of intellectual property protection. China is probably the, the number one offender, has been the number one offender. And the U.S. government has uh, been working to try to rectify that. But it, it's still a serious problem. And I know I have one client that refuses to do business in China for that reason, because they're afraid that uh, their product will, they don't have patent protection, they're afraid their product will be reverse engineered and they'll be facing competition and other international markets from, uh, you know, Chinese exporters. So 
It's a problem that you have to be aware of. My chapter on intellectual property protection tells you which countries are safe, which countries are not safe, and what you need to do specifically to protect your intellectual property. And intellectual property is not just patents and trademarks and copyrights, but you know, there there are processes. Uh, Coca-Cola doesn't have a patent on, uh, but it's a trade secret that has been protected for decades and decades. And even your your client lists, your business uh, lists, are intellectual property. What about if you are selling or trading goods? Uh, anything to think about and share with with regards to setting up a global supply chain? Well, it's really uh, amazing how global supply chains have evolved. And this is, uh, of course, because the trade transaction costs between countries have really come way down as a result of trade agreements and also as a result of new technologies, uh, whether it's containerization or whether it's uh, you know, the Internet. It's now much, and, and new modes of transport, it's much, much less expensive now to transport uh, goods between countries, and this this has uh, made a big difference. So now what we have are, are very complex supply chains. Take um, Apple, for one example. The iPhone is put together in, in, in China, assembled in China from components from uh, the United States, Japan, uh, Germany, Korea, and so forth, from uh, probably hundreds of countries. So even if you're a small business here in the United States, you can participate in that supply chain. Boeing is another good example. Very complex supply chains, good sourced from all over the world. And they're, in the case of, the, uh, of an Apple iPhone, they're assembled in China and then uh, exported here. Actually, this, this brings up a, a pet peeve of mine because when the politicians talk about the big trade, de- trade and goods deficit that we have with China, uh, the statistics are, are phony because our laws require the whole value of the import from China to be considered to be originating in China, when in fact, if you take the iPhone, maybe only 10% originates in China because it's assembled there from parts from the United States, Japan, Germany, and so forth. So, of course, that's what the politicians are saying about trade is a different story, and I could spend the whole hour talking about that. Oh yeah, that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> particularly in light of the presidential race that we're going uh, through right yeah. now. So yeah, the the amount of misinformation is enormous. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's unfortunate because I think that confuses people who are considering uh, diving into uh, international trade. I, and I hope that doesn't intimidate people. And hopefully, your words and and the book uh, will reassure people that this is still something very viable and, and worth thinking about. So where does the future look like? I mean, so do you anticipate a, a dramatic increase in the amount of small and mid-sized businesses uh, becoming global companies? Yes, I do. And, and it's because of cross, cross-border e-commerce and, and these complex supply chains. I think that every small business, whether you're uh, you know, a service business, whether, whether it's you, Todd, or whether it's me, uh, or whether it's uh, somebody making a widget out in Des Moines, will have the ability to participate in, in international commerce through these complex supply chains that are evolving and through, of course, uh, the Internet platforms that are evolving too, whether it's Amazon, Alibaba, or what have you. So I think that's the future. It's, it's happening rather quickly under the radar, and uh, it's going to uh, change the face of commerce. I think businesses in the United States are in a really good position to benefit from it because we have an 
entrepreneurial bent here, unlike the situation in many other countries. We have a lot of small businesses and innovators, so we once again, America will be will be in the lead and benefiting from this burgeoning of international trade. Well, it is a very exciting future and, and amazing opportunities exist. So uh, I'm grateful to you for putting this book together to help those of us uh, who are interested in investigating that and diving into that world uh, now have a good resource with which to uh, make some good, smart decisions. So good stuff. So Steve, before I let you go, how can people contact you? Should they have questions? Where can they learn about your work? And most importantly, where can they get their hands on a copy of what you need to know to go global? They can they can go to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and uh, buy it now. The the uh, ebook version should be out in a couple of weeks, and of course they can contact me through my website www.kruskovtrade.com. I have blogs up on there and, uh, and a variety of information about uh, my speaking engagements and uh, publications and so forth. So. That's how they can get in touch with me. Good stuff. Stephen Kreskoff, international trade lawyer and consultant and the author of the new book, What You Need to Know to Go Global, A Guide to International Trade Transactions. Steve, again, thanks for taking the time to join me. My pleasure. It's been fun, and and I hope it's been interesting to your listeners. That I have no doubt. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of my guest, Stephen Kreskoff, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. Thank you for listening to Intrepid Media. We appreciate your attention. To receive everything we do, simply go to IntrepidMailingList.com. That's IntrepidMailingList.com and sign up. You can also find us at Intrepid.media and on iTunes. And to support the important work we do on your behalf, a rating and review on iTunes will help spread our work far and wide. Again, we certainly appreciate your support. Now get out there, be intrepid, and we'll see you next time.